Isn't, isn't God's word powerful? When you just pause and listen, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He comes near to those who have a contrite or a crushed spirit. We, we read in Psalm 27 last week that those who wait on the Lord, He will strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Are you thankful for God this morning? Would you go with me to prayer and, and let's just praise the Lord today in prayer. God, we are blessed that we can stand here in freedom because of men and women who fought for us. And we can stand openly without fear to read the words of God. And Lord, I thank you for how powerful your words are. Lord, that they cut into our spirit. They reveal sin in our life. Oh, they reveal mercy and grace. And if Paul tells us that we were once far from God, but because of grace and mercy, he brought us near. That we were orphaned, but because of grace and mercy, God adopted us. That we were aliens and foreigners, but because of God's grace and mercy, we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. So we praise the name of Jesus today. We're thankful for the freedom to do so. It is in the powerful and the precious name of Jesus that we pray. And all God's people said, thank you. May be seated this morning. For those of you that may be new, my name is uh, John. I am uh, blessed to be the pastor here. And, and uh, thank you for Angie reading the, the word of God for us today. The word of God is powerful, isn't it? The Word of God is powerful, isn't it? Hey, I want to tell you what I told the first service. When I ask a question, feel free to answer, okay? God is good? And all the time? I hope you'll find your way to Psalm 34 today. Psalm 34, and uh, we are going to be in uh, this text this morning. And as uh, you see on the screen, as you see on the stage here, we are in a series entitled Psalms of the Season. And uh, we're just looking at some of the promises of God that we see all throughout Scripture, but sometimes they're highlighted in these chapters that we're walking through. And so last week, we were in Psalm 27, and I just want to take a moment to read the first and the last verse of Psalm 27, because these were kind of like the highlight of the Scripture. And it talked about last week that God promises us strength. So Psalm 27 one says this, the Lord is my light and my salvation. And then he asks the question, whom shall I fear? Well, when we look at the screen and let's start over, let's read this together, okay? Could, y'all want to read it together with me? Is that all right? Man, there's something powerful about hearing God's people read God's word. All right, here we go. Psalm 27, one, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Let's look at verse 14. Let's read it together. Ready? Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. And he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. And so we summarize this entire chapter really with those two verses. That really, if you weren't here, I'm going to give you like the sermon in a sentence from last week, okay? God is your strength. And God gives you strength. So Psalm 1 basically says that God is David's strength. And then in verse 14, he says, God gives him strength. And so it's not about our willpower and 
you know, what we can do, but it's what God can do in us and through us and for us. And so I'm thankful for God's strength in my life. And, you know, sometimes uh, life is difficult. Is, it, is sometimes life difficult for you? Yeah, and so we shared this um, image last week that had seven different verses. I just want to share it again. Maybe you didn't get a chance to take a picture with your phone. It is on our social media. But I, it's just a words of encouragement. And so maybe each day this week, I know some of you did this this past week, just kind of have a verse of the day. And I bet if you would spend some time on Monday, tomorrow, looking at Deuteronomy 31.6, and you were to read it over and over and over, you might have an opportunity, if you did that for a few weeks in a row, to memorize each of these verses. And what David said, and what we see in Scripture is, David said, Thy word have I hid in my heart, that I might not sin against God or against thee. He also says that he's uh, on the law. I'm going to meditate. How often? We talked about last week, day and night. We also saw that in Joshua chapter 1, 8. This law shall be on your heart and you should meditate on it day and night. So here's, I, I said this last week and so maybe I'm just giving a long review, but you can't meditate on what you haven't memorized. Okay, so memorize some scripture and here's just a great list. Uh, that you could memorize if you just spent some time every day in one of these verses. I promise by Christmas you could have some of these memorized. All right? So, review. God is your strength and God gives you strength. All right, now we're going to be in Psalm 34 today. And our word for the day is deliverance. Okay? Or this word deliver. We're going to see this in this text. Let me give you a quick re- kind of what the context of the writing is. So David is writing this. Some of you may have a study Bible, and it may give you like a chapter heading. Like mine says, a psalm of David, when he pretended madness before Abimelech, who drove him away, and he departed. All right, so what what we learn just from this title here is that this is a passage when David pretended like he was crazy in front of the king of the Philistine army, Achish, okay? The, the Philistine, like, uh, proper title of a king is this word Abimelech, all right? His name was Achish, though, all right? And so if you look in Second Samuel, it gives us a little more context of what David's writing is about. In Second Samuel, excuse me, First Samuel 22, verse 1 and 2, it says this, David therefore departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. So after he had pretended to be crazy, the king lets him go. He goes to this cave. So when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone was in distress, everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was discontented gathered to him. So he became a captain over them, and there were about 400 men with him. Do you see the three descriptive words it uses to describe the people that came to gather at the cave with him? You see it? They were distressed, they were in debt, and they were discontented. Like, this doesn't seem like the greatest group to start uh, an army with, but that's who he's got, okay? And so in this setting, David has been delivered from King Abimelech, but he's still on the run from King Saul. And so although he's been delivered, he's still in debt and distress and discontented, and everyone with him seems to be in the same situation. So that's kind of the context in Psalm 34 where we see David writing. 
Now, as we look at this text, I think the theme of the text comes to light when you look at some of the words of the text. If you notice in this scripture, there's 22 verses. In these 22 verses, you'll see the word Lord in there 16 different times. Uh, And some of you maybe caught that. Like in my text right here, you can see all these colors. I have like a purple square around the word Lord. And it's easier for me to count them that way if I will mark them that way. And so there's 16 word, the word Lord, 16 times. And what is this? If you'll notice in your Bible, like this is in your Bible thousands and thousands of times. It's all capitalized. When it's all capitalized, it's speaking to Yahweh or Jehovah. The definition of that word would be existing one. Existing one. So in Genesis 1-1, when it says in the beginning, that was mankind's beginning. That was not God's beginning. God has always been. That's why the definition of God, Lord, Yahweh, Jehovah, the existing one. God has always been. And so we see that jump out if you're looking at this passage. David uses it 16 times. I think he might want us to get something out of that, right? Lord. There's also another word that shows up quite a few times. In fact, it shows up seven times, but it's translated into English a little different. So let's just kind of walk through that, okay? If you look at verse number four, I'm going to read it for us. It says, I sought the Lord. He heard me. And the word there is he delivered me. All right. So again, that's our word for the day, deliverance. The same Hebrew word that is translated into English, delivered in verse 4, is also in verse 17. So look in verse 17. The righteous cry out, the Lord hears and delivers them out of their troubles. It's also in verse number 19. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Now, this definition is pretty simple. It just means to rescue or to save, that he delivered them. But if you also look in verse number 7, all right, look with me in verse number 7. It, it says this, The angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him and, what's the word? Delivers them. But this is a different Hebrew word than the other three instances that it's translated in to deliver. And it has much more richness and depth in the Hebrew language that then is kind of speaking to something specific. It's in the context of battle. When they encamp around you, the Lord delivers them. So it still means to deliver, but it also gives the idea of like equipping or empowering or rescuing in the scene or the setting of battle. All right, so look at verse number six. Verse number six says, The poor man cried out, and the Lord heard him. And what's the next word? And saved him out of his troubles. Look at verse number 18. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart. And what's the word? Say it again. Saved, such as has a contrite spirit. And and this word saved, you know what the definition is? To be saved. That's really hard, right? To be saved. But it also not only is to be saved, but it is to be, guess what? It's right up here for you if you need, need to cheat, to be delivered. It's just another way of saying that God delivers us. Now look at verse number 22. The Lord redeems the soul of his servants, and none of those who trust in him 
shall be condemned. Now the word redeems means to ransom, to rescue. And what do you suppose another definition of redeems could mean? Some of you are just like on top of it this morning, delivers, all right? So we see the Lord 16 times. We see what could be translated in several different words, the word delivers. The Lord does what? Delivers. Are you thankful for that? He redeems, he saves, he rescues, he delivers. And so David wants us to understand the Lord is our deliverance. And as we kind of walk through this text, I think you can see four basic um, breakdowns of this text. And I'm, so we're just going to walk through those. You're going to see that it's, some of them are going to seem pretty familiar to what we looked at last week because, again, it's the same author. The setting's the same. And so his application seems to be really some correlation between the two. The first is in verses one through three. And we could kind of reference or title these few verses as bless the Lord. Bless the Lord means to praise or to boast, we see, or magnify or to exalt. So let's read verses one through three. Again, David says, I will bless the Lord at all times. Here's another word. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast or praise in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. Oh, magnify or praise or lift high the Lord with me and let us exalt or praise or worship his name together. Do you see what David is trying to say? Pretty simple. Bless the Lord. And I think if you wanted to like write out three sub points of that, it, what you see in these first three verses is he says, bless the Lord Constantly, verse 1, at all times. Then he says continually in verse 1, where he actually says continually. And then in verse 3, it says, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. We see constantly, continually, and then what I would say is we're to bless the Lord corporately together. Isn't there just something awesome about being together and worshiping together? Isn't there something awesome about gathering together and worshiping together? Yes. Isn't there something awesome about gathering together and worshiping together? Yes. And we understand what David is saying. He's saying, bless the Lord, but let's remember the circumstances where he finds himself. To bless the Lord or to praise the Lord is not dependent on my circumstances, but it's directed to a person. That in spite of his circumstances, hiding the cave with the distressed, and those in debt, and those discontented, sounds like a great start of a church, right? That in spite of that, he's going to say, God, I'm going to bless you constantly, continually, and corporately. We're going to bless the Lord. Why? We see in the text, he answers prayer, he provides, he protects, he delivers. Let's go to the next section. In this next section, verses 4 through 8, we could title like, Seek the Lord. Again, Similar to last week. We're going to bless the Lord, verse 4 through 8. We're going to seek the Lord. Look at verse 4. The man, this man, so he's talking about himself, cried out. The Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him and deliver him. Oh, taste and see the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. And so we see this idea of seeking 
the Lord. And, and last week we talked about this, right? And we talked about seeking the Lord involves reading the word. It involves praying. I would add what David is saying here. Also it also involves praising the Lord. We're going to get in his word. We're going to spend time in conversation through prayer with him. And then we're going to worship him. Because he's worthy of our worship. And I think this idea of seeking the Lord really speaks to our priorities, doesn't it? Our priorities of our life and how easy it is, maybe not for you, but it's easy for me to get my priorities mixed up. It's easy for me to focus on what seems like most important, but maybe is not most important. And David just wanting to remind us, we we want to bless the Lord no matter what, and we want to seek the Lord in all ways, in all things, in all situations. He, God. Remember what Jesus said, Matthew 6, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. We're to hunger and thirst after righteousness, right? And we will be filled. Seek God. And David just reminding us, bless the Lord, seek the Lord. The next longest section here is, begins in verse number nine, and it would be titled to fear the Lord. Now we see in verse seven, it says fear the Lord. We see in verse eight, it says trust the Lord. But let's look at verse number nine. It says, oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. There is no want to those who fear him. The young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek, there's that word again, seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. And up to this point, verses 1 through 10, it seems more like it's descriptive. Like Satan, or excuse me, David, I don't know where Satan came from. David is just telling you his story. Like, bless the Lord. This, oh, this is what we're supposed to do. This is just, I'm telling you what I'm doing, stuck in the cave. And then it kind of turns in verse 11 to like, I'm going to teach you. So it becomes more prescriptive. And what does he say in verse number 11? We're going to read through verse 12 on this section Come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Who is the man who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Let's keep reading. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the remembrance from the earth. And so... We're to bless the Lord, seek the Lord, and fear. What does it mean to fear the Lord? And there's a lot of layers to this. I think it would take me a long time to really describe everything in detail, what it means to fear the Lord. But I read this uh, definition or description of what it means to fear the Lord this week, and I thought it was really, it it applied to me really well. So I'm going to read it for you. What is the fear of the Lord? It's the continual awareness that your loving, holy, Righteous Father, he's watching and evaluating everything you say, everything you think, and everything you do. That's tough. Let let me say it again. A constant awareness that your loving, holy, righteous, heavenly Father is watching and evaluating everything you say, everything you do, and everything you think. That puts a little heaviness, doesn't it? 
Let's see if I can think about this. When, when I was in Kansas, I coached high school basketball. Mostly I coached the freshman basketball team. And if I gave the freshman guys, um, you know, let's, let's give you five drills that we're going to do. I need to step out of the gym for a moment and get some things done. I'll be right back. You should be, you know, by probably on list three or four is what I'm thinking when I step back in. Without, just about without fail, when I would open the door and peek in, do you think they were doing the list that I gave them to do? No, not even close. But when I opened the door, guess what happened? All of a sudden, everyone was in their proper place. Or you've been a part of the, the school classroom when the substitute teacher is in, and all of a sudden when the real teacher shows up, everything changes, doesn't it? Or maybe when you were a kid, when the garage door started opening, oh, I'm going to change the channel. I got to fix some things in a hurry. You you guys, you guys know what I'm talking about? I was blessed as a kid that we not only had a garage door that made a lot of noise, but we also had a fairly long gravel driveway and I could hear the tires hitting the gravel and I knew I had 30 seconds to clean up. But what if... The fear of the Lord led us to a constant awareness that our loving, heavenly, righteous, holy Father is watching and evaluating everything we think, we say, and we do. And Peter talked about this, that when we have a proper fear of God, it should lead us to live a life of holiness. And it seems like David gives us some bullet points on this. Let let me give them for you. Because he says, fear the Lord. And then in verse 12, it seems like, you know, if you just kind of bullet point it, it says, desire what is good. Those who fear God will desire what is good. Verse 13, it says, those who fear God will speak truth. Verse 14, those who desire or fear God will pursue what is good and what is right. And those who fear God, verse 15 and 16, will expect that God's eyes are watching that there is this constant awareness. So we want to fear the Lord. We want to trust God, number four. Look at verses 17 through 22. So we want to bless the Lord. We want to seek the Lord. We want to fear the Lord. And number four, verses 17 through 22, we want to trust the Lord. Again, these are similar. We've got two of the same that we talked about last Sunday in verse number, chapter number 27. So look at verse 17. The righteous cry out, And the Lord hears. He delivers them out of their troubles. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and saves such as have a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers delivers him out of them all. He guards all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked. Those who hate the righteous shall be condemned. You might circle that word condemned. Verse 22. The Lord redeems. Remember we said that word is rescue or deliver, or it involves this idea of a ransom, a payment that is paid. The Lord redeems the soul of his servants, and none of those who, what's the word there? The, the Lord redeems the soul of his servants, and none of those who, what's the word? Trust in him shall be condemned. We have this contrast between those who don't trust in him, verse 21, shall be condemned, 
Those who do trust in him shall not be condemned. And what does this word condemned mean? It means really that you're going to be declared guilty. And so what David is speaking to is really that we need to trust God, and specifically in his situation, he's like, trust God with my everyday life. And, and trusting God with my everyday life, that I'm going I'm to bless him, I'm going to seek him, I'm going to fear him, I'm going to trust him. Why? And then you list all these things, like he provides, he protects, uh, he uh, delivered me, he saved me, he rescues me, and he lists all these things of, aren't you glad that God is trustworthy? I'm glad that God can't lie. I'm glad that God is faithful. I'm glad that his mercies we sing about are new every morning. I'm glad that his grace is always sufficient. And we speak to this trusting God with our everyday life. And the reality is, if we would trust God with our everyday life, life would be a lot less stressful. Because when you fail to trust God, it's because you are depending on who? Yeah, me, myself, and, and I. So I want to trust God in my everyday life, but there's a much bigger aspect of trusting God. And Paul speaks to this in Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. He said, therefore, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. So trusting God leads us to not be condemned. There is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ. And what do we say this word condemnation means? Guilty. And it seems like in Scripture, if you've been in church very long, haven't we talked about this? That Paul speaks to this. Paul says that all have sinned. We're all guilty. All have sinned and all are guilty. And then Paul said in Romans 8 that, that our punishment, that the wages, the punishment for being guilty, the punishment for sin is, what is the punishment for sin? I mean, it goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. The punishment for sin has always been death, separation from God. So we're all guilty. We all deserve death. But Paul says... There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ. David says those who trust in him will not be condemned. So how do we come not guilty? Well, one of the most memorized verses in the Bible is John 3.16. For God so, what is it? God so loved you that he gave his only son that whoever, you are whoever, Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life, not guilty. So, there's one of two people in the room today. You either stand guilty before God in your sins, or you've trusted in him and you've been declared righteous. Not because you're good. Paul spoke about that, didn't he, in Ephesians? He said, by grace you are saved. It's through faith. It's through faith. It's not of works. It's a gift of God. Because if it was of my works, I would think I was pretty good. But I'm guilty. But because I place my faith in Jesus, 
There is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ. So we want to trust God with our everyday life, but that promise of faithfulness, rescue, deliverance, and mercy in our everyday life is a promise given to those who have trusted God with your eternal life. So there's, there's a great question I'm about to ask you. Have you trusted Christ with your eternal life? And if not, today could be the day. In fact, this moment could be the day that you give your life to Christ. Oftentimes we walk through this very quickly with what we call the ABCs. We've kind of already talked about it. The first thing you have to do to trust Christ is to admit that you're a sinner. Let's just be honest. That should be pretty easy for all of you. It's easy for me. Admit that I'm guilty. Then the Bible says to believe in Jesus. Jesus, in his words, John 14, 6, said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one can get to God. No one can be declared righteous except through Jesus. I'm going to believe that Jesus is the way to God. And I'm going to confess that Jesus is Lord. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes for a moment this morning. And maybe this morning God has revealed to you that you have never placed your trust in Christ for your eternal life. And what I want to do this morning is just to lead you through a simple prayer. This prayer that I pray and that I would pray that you would speak to God about is you admitting to God that you're a sinner. It's you saying, I believe in Jesus. It's you confessing Jesus is Lord and that you want him to be your Savior. So this morning, if you would like to trust in him for eternal life, to be rescued, to be saved, to be delivered, I'm going to ask you just to pray right where you're at. You can maybe pray something like this. God, I admit that I have sinned. I admit my sins separate me from you. I believe Jesus died for me. And I confess Jesus is Lord, I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to save me. And this morning, as our eyes are closed, the lights are dim right now, I, wanna, I would love to celebrate. I would love to pray for you. If, if you prayed that prayer today, placing your faith in Jesus, trusting him for your eternity, would you just put your hand up for a moment? I just want to pray for you. Just, just put your hand up right now. Put it up high. It's dark. I'm just looking around. Anyone like that this morning? Thank you. Any, anyone else? Just put your hand up. Thank you. Anyone else? And this morning, if you prayed that prayer, I want to challenge you after this service to come talk to me about it. Thank you. There's another one. You can scan the QR code when we're dismissed. You can put in the comments there that you want more information. You can fill the card out to the pew, put it in that box on your way out. But we want to just celebrate what God did in your life today. It's the greatest decision 
that you've ever made. For the rest of us today, maybe the reminder for us is just that we want to trust God in our everyday life. That we're going to praise and bless the Lord in spite or in the face of difficulty. We're going to trust that God is good no matter what. I want to ask you this morning to stand with me. Would you stand with me this morning? I'm going to ask the band to make their way to the stage. And this morning as we've talked about what David said, that David is saying, bless the Lord. I'm going to praise his name constantly. I'm going to praise his name continually. I'm going to praise his name corporately. That, that this morning what I would like to do is just to end this service praising God. Is God worthy of your praise, yes or no? Is Jesus your Savior? Are you thankful for Jesus? Are you thankful for the cross? Is Jesus King of kings? Is he Lord of lords? Is he worthy of praise? Yes, he is. And he deserves all honor and glory and praise. And the Bible says one day, one day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. We have the opportunity to do that today, don't we? Let's do that together corporately. God, we pray today that as we end this service, that it would be about Jesus, the King of Kings. Lord, we acknowledge today that you humbled yourself, you became obedient even to the death of the cross, and you did that because you love us. We acknowledge today that you were buried in the tomb, but Lord, you didn't stay there. You prove that you have power over death, hell, and the grave. And Lord, because you live, we also live. And we thank you for that, Lord. We acknowledge that you are King of kings. You are Lord of lords. And Lord, I pray that our church, that your church this morning would bless your name. And may your praise be on our lips constantly, continually, and in this moment, corporately. It is in the powerful and the precious name of Jesus we pray. Amen.